Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome James Gastine, co-founder and CEO at Unaric, to the show today. James, welcome. Thanks a lot, Ben. Great to have you here. Let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I've been in the SaaS space, specifically the Salesforce space, for coming up to about 13 years, which in Europe is really kind of the, the early doors of Salesforce. And you know, my first business, a company called IS Precursive, is an ISV on the Salesforce platform that was focused on resource planning in the services and, and tech space. And really, we were a bootstrap company for, for most of our existence. And then in kind of 2018, we saw kind of market conditions changing where we would often go to market with multiple partners to you know, meet uh, an RFP or certain kind of requirements. Uh, and really, we saw that the market and the, was changing in terms of you know, wanting really to have one vendor to deal with as opposed to multiple vendors. So I think with that in mind, we kind of, I reached out to one of the, the partners we follow the business with, who had a, a project management tool that we would kind of bundle and co-sell into the enterprise and mid-market space and said, hey, what do you think about bringing our two companies together? The, the market and the deals we're in, we seem to get the same feedback around wanting one throat to choke. What do you really think about bringing our two businesses together? So really for a, a princely sum of about $15,000, we did a kind of do-it-yourself merger and hey, presto, we were a larger company. And really what we looked at was, you know, did we actually create value for customers? Because obviously, as you know, you're a CFO, that a lot of M&A sometimes, you know, goes downhill and, and ends up in tears. So we wanted to look at it in terms of, did we actually create value for customers? And, you know, we measured it by looking at the cross-sell ARR, so customers buying both products. And really what we saw is that between, you know, the before and after picture, was really kind of, you know, I won't go into the numbers exactly, but, you know, it went up about kind of 10x. And that was during COVID. So again, just by bringing together these two products under a common sales and marketing team, product under a kind of common product ownership, having effectively kind of, you know, shared shareholders who are driving towards the same goal, we were really able to drive that kind of cross-sell. And that was a real light bulb moment for me because I thought, okay, in my next business, which is now Unaric, I'd love to have a platform really where I can bring together apps on that same, same tech platform where customers are kind of bought into it and really drive that cross-sell by helping customers solve bigger problems, but having one relationship and one experience as opposed to multiple and fragmented relationships. Yeah. So that was the light bulb moment. And now you founded Unaric or co-founded it. So tell mm -hmm. us about the product services, because this is a little different play, which is really interesting. So tell us what Unaric does. Sure. So I think, you know, I'll start with the vision. So our vision is to build the largest suite of apps on the Salesforce platform. And really, we're looking at bringing together apps along kind of key customer processes, really. So the first one is thinking around that kind of customer acquisition from, say, data through to acquired. And that's really thinking about what people call RevOps, right? Now, if you look on the Salesforce platform, there's about 4,000 plus apps. A quarter of them are, you know, within that sales and RevOps space. So Again, bringing that together for customers to create more value makes a lot of sense. So already we have one business in the portfolio with a couple of products, Sales Bolt. And again, there's a couple of kind of sales intelligence products there. And we have a few more joining over the summer. So again, what we're looking to do is to really build out that RevOps suite, especially with data. Now, again, this is, this is a product podcast, but again, a lot of the AI talk and a lot of the AI tech coming out you need to have clean data, right? So anything that helps enrich your CRM, your sales force, your customer data is going to be key. So again, we're really excited about those types of products. The second part is thinking about the post-customer acquisition space. So thinking service, customer success, 
combination of white space, but also, again, uh, a nice landscape there. And then the third cluster we're thinking about is really kind of tools that people need just to water and maintain their sales force orgs, right? So data deduplication tools, things that might not seem terribly sexy, but guess what? Everybody needs it. So again, really we're thinking about those themes and really what we're looking at doing is to drive, first of all, cross-sell within that cluster and then really across clusters as we become a, a trusted vendor to customers. Yeah, that's really interesting. So those three investment areas within the app exchange and this... Yeah. James, you're not just saying investor, like, hey, we're just going to buy these and, and see how they do, but you're buying. And then are you then consolidating operations where it makes sense or consolidating tech and IP where it makes sense? Yeah, I mean, if we talk a little bit about our model. So again, you know, we talked to founders and I've been speaking to about two or three hundred the last few months. It's really kind of, you know, we're not we're not private equity. We're not venture capital. Right. So we're, we're a holding company based out of the UK. We acquire ISVs really to hold on to them. And what we want to do is to you know, bring together where relevant certain parts. Now, to give you an idea, most bootstraps, you know, sub 10 FTE, sub 10 team members, we see are typically kind of underinvested or resourced around kind of marketing, customer success, right? So it's not really consolidating. It's almost saying, look, we can centralize marketing very quickly. We've got a head of marketing. We've got a marketing team. Again, we can add that very quickly to the range. So we have effectively this growth function around you know core items to optimize the business on top of that we then have an outer halo which is all around distribution so like any ecosystem it's all about the channel the partnerships the alliances and the relationships and again we can drive that at scale and really at the back end we've got an operating platform which will cover off kind of finance legal and admin i think probably the important thing to note is that you know these companies are, are small so it's not a typical private equity cost reduction play it's more a case of that if we can accelerate that growth through effectively some of these uh, HQ resources, effectively a lot of these companies almost hit what we call kind of operational leverage. So again, we can kind of grow them very efficiently from you know, our United resources, but also get the cross-sell because they'll be part of a wider suite. So typically there'll be a, a sister product before and afterwards, which makes that cross-sell a lot easier. Yeah, that's interesting. And then what about your investment thesis here? Do you have a certain revenue range, customer size? What are you focused on when you're searching? You know, you mentioned talking to a couple hundred founders, you know, what criteria do you have as far as a candidate that, that makes a good fit? Yeah, sure. So like, you know, on our website, we've detailed that, that we're looking really for companies that are, you know, half a million of ARR and upwards. We tend to find that, you know, um, that's a, a limit, really anything below that. It's, any product market fit isn't there, things are still in their infancy. We look for, you know, hopefully profitability or kind of break even. Obviously, certain items like churn we look at, there's been a lot of churn. I mean, I think a lot of SaaS companies have experienced churn, right? So again, a lot of things that we see, for example, is what I'd call macro churn. You know, a customer got bought out, they either went under or they've turned off the Salesforce platform. So you can't do anything about it, right? It's not something about the implementation. It's not anything product related, per se. And then I think, yeah, obviously, then it fits in the Salesforce space because that's our background and that's really kind of our heritage of the team with kind of 35 years experience. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So really interesting. So a little different play than just say, you know, creating the IP and now selling and now rolling this up and then operating cross-selling, offering that back office that they normally wouldn't have. And so what year did you found Unaric? So Unaric was established, I think it was... 1st of July, 2022, and we've been kind of working. So, you know, the backstory is that Peter Lindholm and I 
We're working on it from about kind of February onwards. We incorporated the company in July. Then we had, you know, effectively Moritz joined us as a, as a CFO. So again, he's got a banking MA background. And then Neil, who'd also, like myself, had built a bootstrapped ISB in the space. So that was the initial kind of founding 14. And then I think we've kind of worked about eight now. So again, we've got an MA manager, head of architecture, head of marketing, and then a, a business development manager joining next month. So again, We've got a good core team there, you know, top heavy with that functional expertise, really part of our positioning with founders and say, look, you know, you've, you've often may have had these items lacking. We've got it in-house, right? Instead of raising money, diluting, which is very hard to do in this environment, you can actually, you've got these resources here to hand. You can use them, pull them in. You know, you've got like the top 20 tech architect in his space, pull them in, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't have to... You don't have to worry about hiring them. So again, we can ha- often have that mixture of kind of expertise, but also in certain items such as marketing, we've also got the execution because again, we often see that a lot of these smaller ISV partners may be lacking in say marketing. I mean, my first business certainly did for the first five or six years, we didn't have marketing. It was very much like sales, BDRs, anything to do with marketing was kind of, you know, seen as a luxury. So again, you know, that's something we can kind of provide and take on very quickly. And then do you have, are you guys remote? Do you have a location for, so, say, the, the the team? Yeah, so we're kind of, I'd say London is our HQ. Most of the, I'd say half of the team are based in the UK, half of them aren't. So we kind of, you know, we are remote first and then we get together every, you know, two, three weeks as it were. Uh, the companies in the portfolio, again, are spread around. So again, part of, I think, being you know, in this Salesforce ecosystem with the channels alliances is it lends itself very well to this remote culture because, again, it's where the customers are that's most important and you work backwards, right? So, you know, typically a lot of the customers are in the US, whether the company's headquartered there or not. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned about eight staff and growing, but what about on the, the company size side? How many, how many uh, employees on, on the companies that you've acquired so far? So, so far there's, you know, we, uh, we announced our first one in the TechCrunch press release, I think at the end of June. So that's got about four or five team members. And then we have two more businesses joining in the coming months, which will probably add, you know, probably be double digits on the, on, on the portfolio side. And most of these companies I'd say are quite lean, right? So they typically are, you know, R&D focused versus kind of sales and marketing focused. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So a couple couple coming up that will be announced. So we'll be looking for that. And then anything you want to share around your, your revenue range now or, or potential revenue range this year with the combined companies coming in? Yeah. So I mean, I'd say, you know, in the next the next year, we're looking to get to 10 million of ARR. So again, through combination of acquisitions, but also organic growth. So again, that's a key part of our plan. We're not just, you know, acquiring ARR. We're also looking to cross-sell it, upsell but also through, you know, what we say, Unaric initiatives, we can also start to drive net new logos into the group. So if you think about really our growth equation, it's penetration of the Salesforce customer base multiplied by the average number of Unaric products purchased, right? So if we move the lever on, you know, if we, pe- we acquire new businesses with more customers in the Salesforce space, that drives it up. And then we also have the flywheel, which is really around the average number of products cross-sell. And that's really kind of how we think about about growing about growth. Okay. And then I saw that you raised some capital about 35 million. Yeah. What what currency was that in? Was that dollars or, or dollars, pounds? Correct, yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. 35 million seed round, which 
large seed round. But yeah, tell us a little bit about that because it's a little different than say a founder with an, an idea or an MVP and hey, I need some funding to, to grow this. So how did you approach this fundraising round? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Obviously, the, the, mar- the market's changed and, and I suppose was you know, changing as we, we wrapped it up. So we actually closed out, I think, in March. But we wanted to announce with you know, the portfolio coming and also a large trade show that was the London kind of world tour. And really, like anything, it was a case of, you know, what's the, you know, our vision really was to kind of, you know, be perceived and, and be positioned and to be a software company versus a fund structure. So it's really a case of like, okay, what's the best way to get, to get there? And also like, how do we make sure that we raise enough then to get to you know, a meaningful milestone, double digit millions of ARR? And then that allows us then to kind of, you know, have flexibility in terms of, you know, what we do next after that. I mean, we're purely focused on the Salesforce space. We see a little runway there in terms of other companies, both to acquire, but also in terms of headroom growth. So again, it was really a case of, of, of that was the, the thinking. I think we're very fortunate to, to get that raise because a lot of other founders I speak to right now, it's, it's pretty choppy out there. And if deals are getting done, the terms are a, a lot tighter. And any lessons learned in that process, maybe for other founders thinking about this same sort of play where maybe I'll, you know, acquire some Google Chrome apps or apps and different app exchanges out there, because it's not just the typical fundraising round for a founder. So any, any kind of lessons learned on how you approach that, because you weren't approaching it, say, we're not a PE firm, but yeah. we're also not just creating this IP. We want to acquire companies and operate cross sell and so on. So any, any lessons learned that you could pass along there? Yeah, I think the key one is just be really, really clear about your messaging. So, you know, sometimes when you tell people the story around the roll-up or consolidation, they automatically think, okay, you're a private equity firm, we're not that type of investor, and they stop listening. So, which is a shame because there could be a good fit. So I think I think that was one item. I think the other thing is to just basically think about what some of those tailwinds. And really, if you see, you know, what's happening in the SaaS space, this kind of consolidation theme, which is happening in other ecosystems. So we're seeing it in Atlassian. We're seeing it in, you know, apps in the Amazon space. Really, that was the step before that was a lot of consolidation in the Amazon merchant space, right? So COVID happened. Everyone was locked at home, spending far too much money on Amazon and these marketplaces. And then someone said, look, Let's start rolling up these, these, these merchants, right? And, you know, they're retailers or e-tailers, but again, it's a semi-recurring revenue stream with decent margins. We can, we can you know, add some leverage to it. So there was that model of the kind of the FBA aggregator, right? the seller X's of the world. And I think what happened is that, you know, like any type of new category, there were a couple of winners and there's, there's a few people who got burnt in that space. So again, I think, Part of you know going to markets, appreciating what happened before you, even if it wasn't in your sector, right? So people would still say to us, "Oh, we've invested in FB aggregators; it didn't go well, so therefore we're not going to invest in a SaaS aggregator." You're like, but it's it's a completely different revenue stream; it's a different category. It's you know ours is technology and IP based. Yours, there was no IP, right? It was selling shampoo on Amazon. So again, it was a very different proposition. But again, I think it was some investors have been burnt. And therefore, if you said one of those few words that got them burnt, they would retract. So I think that's probably a core tip. Just be aware of what happened and what's those investment themes. Because again, when it's new, when it was COVID and everyone was throwing, you know, checks around, everyone got very excited. And obviously then there was the kind of 
the come down, the hangover in 2022, when people started realizing that these bets didn't materialize. And even if we would do our best in positioning, sometimes you know investors would just say, well, look, you know, if we hear the word aggregator or consolidator, we get a, a you know a nervous twitch, so we're going to pass. So I'd say it's something like that. And then you know, like anything, you know, I've done fundraising before my first business. Is there's really kind of really two time windows I see. The first is say January to the summer season, and then the second is kind of September to the holiday period, right, the Christmas holiday period. And those are really the two timings. If you start something in say May, you come through the holiday season, especially in Europe where things literally shut down in certain countries, you're then losing momentum. You've been around for a while. People are starting to keep tracks on you. And it's like, okay, you've been in market now for a fundraiser four or five months, you haven't closed. What's happened, right? And if someone's seen your deck in May and you haven't closed after three or four months, you know, it gives off uh, a bad signal. So I'd say it's just kind of you know, there are those two windows. And obviously, when you go to market in a January or September, you need to have your axe sharpened, right? So all the materials or, you know, all the intros done so that, you know, you're literally running meetings in that first week with the hope of closing out. Otherwise, you know, I've had it before in my first business where, you know, we'd start a process and then you hit the Christmas period and then it closes in, you know, it only closes in February because January, half of January is a write-off with people coming back from vacation. So again, I think that that's the core bit for me, just thinking about that timing bit. And then obviously with that timing bit, really sussing out beforehand, like, you know, who's really kind of in market because it's very easy to get, well, very easy. Investors will take meetings. Sometimes they will take meetings to find out what you're doing out of interest. Maybe there's a portfolio research, but it's not an indication that they've either got funds available or that they're willing to invest, right? So just figuring out actually who has got capital and can invest in the next six months should be done before going to market. So it, it really is a, you know, A, it's a full-time job and I think shouldn't be seen as, oh, I'll just do it whilst running a company, looking after customers, doing sales, you know, doing team off sites. It's like, you know, clear the calendar, and, you know, take it super seriously and, you know, make sure that you have those time windows firmly in mind. Yeah, really important that that does come up quite often with fundraising. And normally I talk about the go-to-market motion of the company, but would love yeah. to hear, James, in your case, when you're prospecting, trying to find companies, are you spending just a lot of time on the Salesforce app exchange and filtering and, and looking for keywords of companies to find and then trying to reach out to them? Tell tell us a little bit how you're prospecting for these companies. Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're fortunate that between, say, three of us, we've got this kind of 35 years experience. So a lot of our initial conversations and acquisition pipeline came through, you know, network or, hey, I went to this conference. So, you know, we, 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 we kind of were established that way. James, who's our chief architect, he's, you know, he's a chief a certified technical architect, right? So it's like a, a badge in the Salesforce space that opens up certain doors. So I think really just that kind of first uh, set, you know, a lot of those meetings were really driven through, hey, you know, we're now doing this, we'd love to get your thoughts, right? People we knew or, you know, we knew in the space, uh, especially founders who may have been successful, moved on. So that was kind of quite a key part. And Salesforce is very much a kind of community orientated ecosystem. So it's, you know, it's great in that case. And then really, yeah, we kind of built, we, we built out obviously the data set of the app exchange, but really kind of thinking, you know, carefully about, you know, how we build the portfolio as opposed to just saying, hey, let's contact 4,000 app owners and see if they're up for selling. It's much more okay. Like 
what makes sense, right? What makes sense from a thesis perspective? What makes sense from a kind of like, okay, where are those tailwinds? So again, if you look at Salesforce and messaging, AI plus data plus CRM. Now they happen to sell a lot of other things apart from the CRM. However, you know, where does that kind of sit? That's really a RevOps messaging, right? And a combination of, I'd say, you know, strategy plus serendipity to mimic kind of Michael Jordan's quote, kind of, you know, meant that that, that RevOps space was a good space to be in. Really the idea around the service space was really looking at, okay, what's happening in the macro picture where, again, how many more new salespeople are going to be entering the job force this year? It's probably going to be a loss rather than a gain, right, given some of the cuts, especially in the, the tech industries, some of the larger industries. So, again, service felt like it was the next place that made sense, right? We knew that service revenues were growing at Salesforce. We know there's a lot of themes there, for example, around effectively that, you know, that aftercare, the post-sales experience, you know, didn't really have as much of a home or process as, say, sales and sales forecasting. So, again, that piece kind of made sense. So we kind of attacked it with thinking, okay, look, you know, what, what kind of really makes sense? What's our kind of thesis or hypothesis on this area? Uh, and what, you know, let's have some conviction as opposed to, you know, buy anything and hoping it glues together. Because really for us, you know, having that cross-sell makes a lot of sense. So, you know, to give you an idea, within the, the, the three companies that will be in the fold in the coming months, you know, we're already seeing there's cross-sell between industries, between the buyers, so the personas, but also in terms of a wider process, right, which is great. So even with those three, we can start to demonstrate this cross-sell. Whereas if we had three completely isolated products, one in finance, one in HR, one in project management, it would be really difficult to demonstrate cross-sell because it'd be like, great, we might have the same, the same group company who are be selling to Coca-Cola UK, but we've got three different buyers and it's enterprise, so it's three different sales motions. So that's how really we kind of think about it. And obviously, we we're going to go to we're going to Dreamforce, which is a Salesforce's largest conference. So we're putting on kind of events there. We're having a dinner. So we, we tend to do those types of things. But again, it's you've been a CFO before. So it's again with things like you know selling a business, it's not a spur at the moment. Yep, here we go. It's it's building relationships, right? So it's building relationships, understanding who and, and also also testing what we're doing. And so far, I'd say 95 or 99 percent of founders have been responses and hey that's a great idea i love what you're doing not right timing don't sell my company whatever it might be there's often a reason but generally it was good to get the validation that what we're building makes sense and it makes sense for the salesforce ecosystem yeah it makes a ton of sense in from your perspective you know a little different maybe for a founder but as you're aggregating and thinking about this do you have a metric that you're focused on you know, fr from, I'd say, I don't know, like an investment level, but, you know, an aggregation level, like what are you looking at that shows traction or performance for your business? So do you mean before we acquire or once it's been acquired? I'd say, yeah, more like the strategy, like, you know, as you think, you know, you have one acquisition, you have a couple coming up. And, yeah. you know, are you, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking just about total ARR? Are you thinking about customer counts? Are you thinking about cross-sell potential as a yeah. number that's important when you when you look at this aggregation play? Yeah, it, it, so, okay, so that's a good question. So I think, you know, really what we do is it, it comes down to, obviously, we want, you know, we want ARR just like anybody else. Um, at the same time, it's, it's, you know, where did that ARR come from and how much did it cost us? So again, I think, 
the the idea of building this kind of you know this suite of apps and salesforce platform it was really around okay how, how do we a provide a better experience to the customer but also behind that you know for us it then means that that cross sells a lot easier so it's really just thinking around like you know that that cross sell or i even say like the lead source right so if we're able then to cross sell within the customers that are across Unare, that's really what we're looking to do because then it's a case that makes it, it's a better experience to customer it's a much stickier where they're able to like bundle package offer better service and support and you know that's what we're kind of really looking at so you know if i had to boil it down it would maybe be a cac metric right uh, mm-hmm. and thinking around you know what's the cac and then what's that kind of lead source now obviously <laughs> through one of the products as well in our portfolio we can then start to understand as well when people move. So what we're going to start thinking about, we look at the pipeline fund as like, what's that lead source? So hopefully it would be, you know, sister company in the group, but also potentially customers who may have left where they're working, went somewhere else, right? So we want to think about really, it's that kind of customer success flywheel. You know, I think we've got a, a view that, you know, the sales function is going to be very different in the coming years. This idea of having maybe an army of BDRs and AEs you know, it works maybe for some industries, but for what we're doing, we see it as much more of a kind of a, a customer success driven motion where, uh, you know, it's much more around the, the relationship, thinking about the cross sell, maybe product led growth for more tactical products where end users need to get their hands on it and try it out, right? Without the need or friction of, of, of a sales intervention. Okay. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And James, really appreciate you sharing your experience today. And as we ramp up, tell us what's coming up next for you, Norik. I know we have maybe a couple of press releases coming up with some acquisitions, yeah. but what's coming up that's new and exciting? Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're super stoked. We've got Charlie's just joined us, head of marketing. So that's fantastic. And really just thinking around, you know, how do we then start to tell the story from a customer perspective? So that's going to be coming out. We're going to be at Dreamforce in, in four weeks. So again, we are sponsoring one of the parties before the, uh, the rock concert. We're putting on a, putting on an event. We're hiring some space. That's going to be that's going to be really neat. And then I think it's going to be a case of you know welcoming some more companies into the fold, but also meeting a lot of founders face to face. It's going to be super exciting. And again, I think you know we tend to follow the Salesforce events calendar. There'll be an event just before the Christmas period in New York. And again, just kind of you know getting out there. You know, meeting founders, but also building those kind of uh, you know, partnerships. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. And I'm looking forward to those press releases. So if, if listeners would like to learn more about Unaric, where should we send them online? Yeah, I mean, if you ha- check out our website, unaric.com, we, we've got loads of events there. If you are going to Dreamforce and you're in the Salesforce space, then unaric.com backslash Dreamforce. We've got a list of all the things we're doing. We're sponsoring a party, so you can sign up there and get yourself a ticket. It should be really fun. It's at an arcade. So you remember those like Pac-Man, Street Fighter. So it's like a kind of arcade thing with drinks on us and with some food. So we're kind of sponsoring that with a few others in the in the Salesforce space, which would be really cool. And then we've also, you know, we've got some room if you want to grab a coffee, charge your phone, put your feet up. We've got some space just near the conference center. So again, Dreamforce is a lot of fun, but it's 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 a bit of a circus. So again. If anyone wants to recharge, they're very welcome to, to drop by. That's great. Yeah, that's exciting. Looking forward to that. So James, really appreciate your time today and sharing your experience and insight. No, it's been awesome, Ben. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for joining.